Okay, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Operator Circle Podcast. My name is Luke Bensi, and the mission of our podcast here is to unite security operators worldwide. Today, I am very delighted to honor a, or to, to welcome uh, a personal friend of mine who has had a tremendous career uh, in cybersecurity and homeland security, and that's Mr. Chuck Brooks. Uh, if you are not familiar with Chuck, um, uh, you might not be on LinkedIn. Uh, of the hundreds of millions of people on LinkedIn, Chuck is actually the number one most followed person when it comes to tech discussions. Uh, he has worked for two presidential administrations. Uh, he's worked in the defense contractor industry. He's a consultant to many top Fortune 500 companies. He's also a professor of Homeland Security at Georgetown. Uh, please welcome today, good friend, true patriot, Mr. Chuck Brooks. Chuck, welcome. Thank you, Luke. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. You have such an amazing resume. I never know where to start to describe you. So let me just turn it over to you and say, how do you describe yourself with your unique background? Yeah, I think sort of a polyglot of different things. You know, I worked, I came here early on in my career, uh, just like everyone else to Washington, D.C., for, you know, without a short stint and ended up staying here. And uh, it's sort of the old story of, of, of networking. I was at a at a dinner party, I was a young kid, and I met a, a retired general who happened to also be a retired uh, general who's former de head of DIA and former deputy director of the CIA named Lieutenant General Daniel Graham. He's no longer alive, but he ended up becoming my mentor. And uh, so I was only here two weeks, and, and I started writing for him and uh, doing stuff and going to the, the officers' clubs with all these retired generals. It was quite an experience for, for a young guy coming, you know. Uh, but it was a uh, it was a great experience, and he actually got me an appointment in the Reagan administration uh, to the assistant, to being coming the assistant to the Voice of, of, of America, Director of Voice of America, Richard Carlson. Uh, a lot of you may know his son, Tucker Carlson. Now, sure, sure. sure. Uh, so that set me off on a different career than I and intended, and I ended up uh, working uh, for a while. I, I spent almost a decade working on, on the Senate side and uh, working for the late Senator Arnold Specter. I got uh, sort of uh, dipped into the security world, and security issues and technology issues, uh, working those issues in defense and security, and made a lot of contacts from that. And uh, one thing led to the other, and the next thing I know, uh, I'm finding myself uh, at the Department of Homeland Security uh, when it was being set up as an original plank holder. I got a call and said, would you like to be part of a startup? I said, how big, how small? I said, what's it? Probably the largest one ever, and it was the Homeland Security. <laughs> And uh, so it was great. We went in there. It was, it was uh, basically mostly Secret Service and uh, and Coast Guard people there at the, initially. And we, we set up a legislative shop, and then we set up the Science and Technology Director. And spent a few years there, and then, as you mentioned, went to industry. You know, the you know for uh, companies like Rapiscan, doing uh, security and, and General Dynamics Mission Systems, where it was my, my latest company. But uh, and now uh, I'm out and uh, doing my own thing. And, and as you said, going back to your original question, it's sort of a mixture. And I got involved into the policy. I got involved into the, the, the technical and operational things and also got involved into the media of writing and, and, and doing a lot of uh, written 185 articles, writing for Forbes and, and speaking, as you know. And, and uh, so it's really a mixture. And I'm thinking this is what sort of a, the digital world is now. It's, it's, a, it's a mesh of different skills. You know, you, you, you take what your experiences are and you, you look at them in different avenues. And, and it could be the media, it could be in policy, it could be operational. And uh, so when I say polyglot, I sort of combined all those three. And that's where I uh, those, those skills in different areas. And that's where I'm now, including academia, <laughs> yeah. which is the other fourth one. <laughs> 
Well, you know, I, I think, Chuck, you are the perfect example, and, and for all of our, our members and listeners and stuff, the importance of networking and the importance of having a mentor. Uh, I mean, for myself personally, when I went to Washington, D.C., I didn't know anybody either. Uh, I was fortunate to get in with uh, a, a gentleman, Mick Donahue, which was one of the CIA trailblazers, one of the top 50 CIA officers in the first 50 years of the agency. And you, you just get that mentor. You never know how it's going to come about. It's, sometimes it's the, you know, just dumb luck or just being at the right place at the right time. But you got to get out and network to meet those people and, and get plugged in. And my God, if you are an example of that. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it can be physical when things get better with COVID, but, uh, and those happen. Just go to events is, is a really good way to meet people, particularly in areas of interest. But, but digitally now too, as I said, you mentioned LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn is, is really, uh, gosh, I have, I have now 63,000 followers on it. And uh, they're pretty interesting people. Most of them, uh, you know, a lot of them are executives in government, executives in corporate, and you'd be surprised how approachable everyone is on LinkedIn and likes to share information. So I think that digital world is sort of uh, you know, now meshed with the physical world and maybe even more so right now while we're being held back. But no, uh, that's critical. You're spot on with that. And, and I think people don't realize, you know, I just, just LinkedIn, I, I've used LinkedIn as my only social media uh, platform. I'm just starting to get into Facebook a little bit. You know, you, you, you get, it's an older guy, you get middle aged, you're like, ah, I don't want to do social media or, or you know, you, you're just not techie. And I find this with, with the people that I work with, retired FBI, CIA, military folks, they're a little bit older, they don't want to get on social media, they feel a little awkward. But LinkedIn is such a great networking tool. It doesn't have the I mean, it has the politics of it, but, but it's a lot more professional than, than anything I've seen on, on Facebook or the other ones. And you're right. People are very approachable. They're, they're welcome to communicate and, and you have to participate. You have to be back and forth. And I think it's a thing you have to give to get, so to speak. You can't just be out there. Oh, I need a job. I need this. I need that. But if you're giving, and I noticed that about you, you just give, 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 give. I mean, you're always posting relevant content interviews and, and all of these things. And I think that's something else our, our viewers really need to understand is it's not about what can you give me, but with social media, what do you give to that huge virtual audience out there? Oh, absolutely. And if there's an area of interest that you're, you're working in, um, you may want to connect with the right people and share their content, share their experiences. A lot of the people that say the Department of Homeland Security uh, regularly post and publish things themselves. And they really appreciate it when you'll like it and share it, maybe in a group. Uh, groups are another way on LinkedIn. You have opportunities to, to go into security groups, and into you know, uh, association groups, into college groups, all kinds of things where you have like-minded people to share things. So you, you, it's endless. And the other thing is perpetual. You can share it over and over. Uh, you'd be surprised who reaches out to you when they see something. And the other thing I recommend, too, if you really want to uh, – do something, publish yourself. Self, there's a self-publishing mechanism on LinkedIn where you can write something and publish it yourself. And it's great. You don't have it edited by someone else, but you should have someone look at it. Right. But uh, it really puts out, you could develop your own portfolio. So I, I think for, for anything, for whether it be job searching or branding your business, um, or just you know having a, a great ability to network with people and showing your accomplishments, you know, LinkedIn is perfect for that. Very cool. And, and the groups that you, I know that you are administrator for, for a few groups on LinkedIn. What, what are your groups? I know Homeland Security is one. Yeah, Homeland Security and U.S. Department of Homeland Security, DHS, is the other one. They're both the two largest Homeland Security groups. 
Uh, there's one on training and for law enforcement I have too. Um, there's one on first responders uh, I run. Um, there's a, a couple on information security that I'm uh, that I run too, and one on, and two on emerging technologies, emerging technologies, and one on science and, and disruptive technologies, um, which is really interesting because a lot of DARPA people like to, to post in that with the, the latest and the greatest, and so it's a, it's you know fun. Plus the I I have one called DC Foodies, which is just because I I have a passion for, <laughs> but I have been. Uh, had to hold off on that recently, but I'm looking for Yeah, that's, that's cutting into your, your foodie uh, yeah, hobbies there. So, uh, so besides all the LinkedIn stuff, what, what are you working on right now? Are you still teaching as well? Yeah, I'm teaching two courses this year. And I think you've actually guessed uh, taught a couple of them in the past on risk management and class love those. So uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully, you know, in, in the near future when we get back to that opportunity. Uh, but I'm teaching uh, now uh, Homeland Security Technologies in the course, and one I actually wrote called Disruptive Technologies in, in uh, Organizational Management. And I actually, my first time I wrote a course of uh, 15 modules. And uh, actually, I'd like to have you a guest speaker on that one too. I'd oh, love to. Cool. Um, but it's really, it's really uh, interesting. The students now are, are uh, my students for this class are all graduate level. A lot of them are in government still, a lot of them in security and law enforcement. And um, a lot of them are taking advantage of the GI Bill, too. And so it's a, mm -hmm. a really good group of people. And uh, I think one of the benefits of having uh, this program is that they were very active in the digital already with Canvas and other technology platforms. So um, it was a, just a, a small adjustment to get to do these online. And, mm -hmm. and you can still do the Zooms, too. But, you know, so, but I think that's going to be a trend anyway for academia. There'll be a lot more people because people don't have the time you know, particularly when they're already working in graduate level stuff and have full-time jobs to, to always commute to places and sit in for two hours. Yeah. So I think the digital world and education is going to have a... No, absolutely. So, so that brings up a good point. So you deal with a lot of your students are, are transitioning out of the military or, or out of some government agency. From your experience, what do you see? How, how is that transition? I mean, whether it's your experience or what you see, what advice are you giving to people who are going from the military or from uh, from public sector service into the private se sector, especially now during these these difficult uh, economic times. Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of things here. For, for one, obviously, the, the, the private sector has several interests, and one of the interests is to do business with with the, the federal sector. <laughs> so a lot of their experiences, and knowledge, and and contacts and networks are valuable in the private sector. So they don't underestimate that when you go to things. The second thing is I'm finding that a lot of these people that go through military training, law enforcement training, uh, security training, have much more discipline. And, and the private sector companies like that. They're finding that they're people that are reliable. They're used to showing up on time. They're used to having meeting deadlines. So a lot of those qualities and skills are really transferable to the private sector. And I think also that the, the other part of the equation is now there's a lot more cooperation, uh, particularly in terms of security, you know, whether it be uh, uh, cybersecurity or whether it be business security because of the protecting critical infrastructure is the primary consideration of one of our biggest agencies <laughs> just now, CISA. And uh, private sector owns 85% of the critical infrastructure. So if you really look at where there might be opportunities, you could probably pick any anything from you know, healthcare to retail to finance, and you'll find that there's a security element to it. And, and those skills that you have in the government are really valuable in those industries. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, most of the people that we've hired at, at SMI over the years, I'd say the, the overwhelming 80, 90 percent uh, probably have had some some military service and they are much, much more disciplined, uh, you know, coming out there. They, they can deal with stress. 
what else are employers looking for these these days? I mean, it's it's a lot more competitive. What what other advantages uh, would yeah, you? I I think they're, they're they're looking for people that that are are, are certainly motivated, but that's that's another issue. But also adaptable because. Um, as, as you know, just going to remote work is a big change. They want people that are, are self-reliant, um, that will, will network well, that have good, good soft skills as well as technical skills. I mean, uh, sometimes underestimated, but, but the ability to, to have to build relationships is really important at, at companies now. And uh, also, they want people that they can, um, you know, basically uh, be rely on, be reliable. You know, one of the issues I think with with work and the last decade has been sort of a, uh, it's very difficult for human resources to find people that have one, uh, one, want to stay with the company and, and two, that want to actually do the work required of them. It's, it's maybe a generational thing, but uh, uh, I think that these companies are, they want, they, they're competitive among their, their other companies. So they want people that are going to help them. So if you look at uh, when you go to these companies, how can I help them rather than, you know, what are they going to do for me? You really right. have an advantage. No, that's great. Um, well, let, let's switch gears here a little bit. You know, on this, this program, we, we talk a lot how COVID has affected the security situation. And, and a lot of people talk about, oh, well, you know, uh, it, it, maybe the, the terrorists now can weaponize COVID or, you know, or, you know, we've let our guard down because we've got skeleton crews working our, our homeland security and, and our intelligence agencies. But, but you're kind of a cyber expert. How do you see COVID affecting global security from, from a cyber point of view? Well, for one thing, I, I think it's a wake-up call, you know, because uh, a lot of the things that parallel viruses in, in, in the bacterial physical world parallel it in the digital world, too. Mm-hmm. The way it spreads, how quick it could do, do damage, and how could it basically make things inoperable. So I think cybersecurity had a look at the lessons of how, how governments have had to close down. And, and the look at that could be from a distributed denial of service attack, could be from a lot of different things. So I think that model has basically looked at, you know, okay, we need to have resiliency, we need to have zero trust, we need to have incident response plans, and we need to do vulnerability assessments. So I think uh, a lot of the particularly mid-sized companies that have been um, neglecting that have looked at this now more recently and looked at, we need a security framework as part of our mission. Otherwise, we're not going to survive if we get hit with the virus. So I think it's definitely, in a sense, been a good thing. Okay. Well, what about other other security threats, trends you see as a result of this? What what worries you? What keeps you up at night of, of threats coming down the, the pipeline? Well, you know, there's a lot. I, I look at things from an emergency te- emerging technology perspective. Uh, I think part of the problem now uh, is that it's it's easy to automate threats, and uh, mostly coming from from state sponsored governments, but not just them. Uh, you know, primarily uh, China, Russia, North Korea, and Iran, but. Uh, uh, there are a lot of sort of uh, criminal groups now that have the ability to, to get hold of our, uh, technologies that can automate uh, you know, uh, cyber attacks, look for vulnerabilities using machine learning, eventually artificial intelligence. Also, um, you know, I think the insider threat issue has been uh, very much neglected over the years. And we're finding out now how much of an infiltration there has been, in particular by the Chinese, in, into our, a lot of academia, into our uh, you know, medical communities and health. Uh, and, and to engineering, and we, we've basically uh, been so open, I think, that we haven't looked at, at the risks there. And it's still a risk, too, for companies, too. I mean, there's the mm-hmm. appropriate espionage and other issues. So I think that's a risk. But I think the, the biggest risk is still disruption by emerging technologies if, if our adversaries uh, can basically 
uh, take advantage of the networks and take them down or use ransomware. Uh, that's very scary. And in a physical sense, I agree with you, though. I think that, that biological warfare is, is very uh, frightening. And if I were uh, inside DHS, intelligence community, right now I'd be looking at, you know, ways to have uh, a layered defense and, and early warning against any kind of biological weapons attack, because you see how, how, how lethal it is right now and how easy it is. So that's that's very frightening. Yeah, there's no shortage of a need for subject matter experts uh, with with security and, and cybersecurity right now. I mean, it's the, the job market for people with those unique skills is really, I mean, the government is scratching the claw for, for people that are SMEs like that, sure. So, well, let's, what I'd like to do now is, is kind of hit you with our traditional uh, speed round here. I'm just going to ask you five quick questions. Sure. Uh, you can answer as briefly or as extended as you as you'd like. So, first one: What is the best career advice you ever received? Uh, let me think. That, yeah, the best career advice I've ever received, and I think I and I, I learned it after years, is that don't be discouraged if if what you go into initially is not the right fit, and that there'll be other opportunities. And when a door closes, another one opens. Because I, I think particularly people can get depressed and frustrated when, when they go into a company and it may be for not their fault at all. It could be personalities, the company culture, it could be, you know, fiscal related. Uh, so I think what that prepared me to do is that you always have to keep learning, upgrading your, your capabilities and resume and, and, and employability. So I think uh, I've taken that, that lesson early on in my career because I knew that particularly in Washington, you know, when you're dealing in, in the, the Beltway Bandits thing, that. Uh, you're, you're temporary uh, to everyone. It's yeah. the latest contract that goes that, you know, you lose a contract to another company, you're gone. So it, it, there's no, there's no insulation. The only insulation you have is building the expertise inside, inside yourself. Yeah. For, for those who've worked in the, the Washington DC area, you can get recycled or discarded pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next question. What book most influenced your career? The book that, uh, God, uh, you know, I can't name the title of it, but I think uh, uh, when I was in graduate school, uh, I had a professor named Albert Walstetter, and he spoke with this deep voice. There's an auditorium from known AEI and all that, but he was, he was one of the first strategic thinkers. And uh, he was considered a bit of a hawk, I guess, at the time. But uh, um, he had written a book, and it was on strategic studies. And, and I, it really geared my career to go into wanting to go to Washington and work in, that, in national security. So I think that would have to say... Albert Wolstetter's book, and I can't think of the name, I'm sorry, I apologize for that. <laughs> he was at the University of Chicago at the time, and uh, you know, he, he really, his book really steered me the right way. All right, very cool. We'll try to find that title and, and post yeah. it for people, sure. Okay, uh, what is the one thing you would have done differently in terms of your career? If you had a do-over, what would it have been? If I had a do-over, you know, um, I think I, I left government, and this is sounds funny, I, th I think I left government too soon at the last job, mainly because there was a, a, a huge pay opportunity. You know, the private sector pays a lot more. Uh, but I think I would have stayed longer at Department of Homeland Security if I had the opportunity now to, just because I think, you know, the, I'm mission oriented, you know, and I've done a lot of public service, including, you know, being an auxiliary policeman at one point too. But uh, I think that, you know, it, it, there's nothing like public service and fulfillment working for government. And sometimes it's a trade-off you know, uh, for, for financial resources is, is, it can be, you know, a bad choice. In this case, it was not a great choice, but it was, I missed, I missed staying there. 
Yeah, miss, miss the mission sometimes. Miss the mission, yes. Absolutely. Okay, and last question. If you could have dinner with three people, living or dead, who would they be? Oh, interesting. Well, I think definitely, I think probably everyone says Albert Einstein, and I agree with that. I mean, <laughs> how many people can really change the world uh, mm -hmm. so much in, in a physical sense of, of that? So I think that that would definitely be an interesting one to do. Um, you know, I, I think it'd be interesting too now in time for to talk to Abraham Lincoln because he had, uh, you know, really been at a time of like, yeah. partisanship and, and sure. really was able to, to steer the country in the right way and make decisions, just a brilliant man. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, you know, the other person would be, I think, Robin Williams, deceased Robin Williams. Ah. I, mean, I think this guy was the, the best comic genius of our time. And I look at all the reruns of him all the time. And, you say, wow, how did he, I mean, it's so funny and so quick and so witty. So I think any dinner with him would be, uh, he'd take it over. <laughs> Einstein, Lincoln, and Robin Williams. That's that, that would be a heck of a dinner. And, <laughs> you're a big foodie, you're a big DC foodie guy, or New York, where, where, would, you, where would you pick to, to have a restaurant? Uh, well, not New York anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'd think to let it go south, but maybe to Sarasota. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we got some good spots down here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, good deal. Uh, Chuck, thanks again uh, for, for coming on the program. And Chuck is going to be speaking also at, at CarverCon once again this year, which will be uh, November 13th. We'll do it virtually from uh, the campus of University of South Florida. Uh, so we, we certainly want everybody to, to register for that. It is free this year, so we should have a tremendous turnout, but definitely uh, – uh, tune in for for Chuck for that. So Chuck, thank you again. It's it's always a pleasure talking to you, and uh, you know we wish you the best during these interesting times, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Uh, thanks, Luca. Great being on, and uh, stay safe too. All righty, take care.